Welcome to Endless Summers, an Australian Test Cricket History Podcast. Episode 5, 1902 in England, playing the trumper card. The Australians had little time to celebrate their third successive Test Series victory over the English as the 1902 tour was departing straight after the completion of the Australian summer. The tourists were announced during the fifth Test. Darling, having missed the final two Tests of the previous series, returned and would again captain the side. He was joined by experienced tourists Kelly, Gregory, Howe, Hill, Jones, Noble, Trumper and Trumbull. Armstrong, Duff, Hopkins and Saunders had all debuted the previous season were making their first trip to England. The one surprise was that of backup wicketkeeper, with New South Welshman Hanson Sammy Carter being selected. Carter was behind Kelly as the principal keeper for the New South Wales side, but had impressed in his limited opportunities enough that he was chosen, and was the first Australian keeper to adopt a crouching style behind the stumps. New South Wales batsman Les Poitevin, who had scored 150 against the English in the tour match, was considered a 15th member of the squad, as he was travelling to England to undertake a medicine degree and would be available for matches if required, or he would eventually stay in England and qualify to play for Lancashire. Ben Wardle again acted as the tour manager. Before the tour departed, it was also confirmed that the Australians would return via South Africa and play the first test series between the two nations. The 1899 tour was meant to have originally been the first such side, but the imminent outbreak of the Boer War meant that the stopover was cancelled. This would also be a diplomatic mission, with the Australian government encouraging the tour, hoping to restore friendly relations following the Australian involvement in the war. The Orhan, the vessel taking the players on tour, was heavy with cricketers. McLaren's team was also on board, as well as former Australian cricketers Fred Spotheth and Sammy Woods. The two teams travelled in good humour, with Monty Noble arranging several concerts on the voyage which both sides took part in. However, the relationship between McLaren and Sid Barnes had broken down across the previous tour, with Barnes' professional attitude coming into conflict with McLaren's starry-eyed enthusiasm. The dispute became so bad that when the ship encountered rough seas to the extent that many players were fearing for their lives, McLaren was heard to say, Well, there's one consolation. If we go down, that bugger Barnes will go down with us. The Australians arrived in April for a packed tour made up of 39 matches, including five tests, although unlike in Australia, these would be limited to three days of play. They found an England that was in an extremely confident mood. Despite the death of their long-serving Queen Victoria the previous year, the English were buoyed by the success in the Boer War, which flowed through to optimism about the success of their cricket side. The Australians began practising for their opening match in early May, to be played against London County, a new team established in 1900 that featured W.G. Grace and Billy Murdoch. However, in a session just prior to that first game, a drive from Glen Hill broke the thumb of Hugh Trumbull. This would see one of the key bowlers for the visitors out for a period of time, although there was hope they would be available for the first test at the end of May. The first match was drawn, with the rain limiting play to only 150 overs across three days. This set the tone for the tour, with rain being a constant factor. Not only did this affect the conditions of the pitches, but it also helped contribute to influenza running through the Australian side, with five players coming down with the sickness. On multiple occasions, players had to leave their sick beds in order for the Australians to field a side. Despite this, the Australians didn't lose any of the seven matches in the lead-up to the first test. Four of those matches were won, including three by an innings. Darling and Hill both scored centuries, whilst there were strong bowling performances from Noble, Howell and Saunders. The standout, though, was Trumper, who scored three centuries against Surrey, Oxford and the NCC. Not only was he scoring on difficult pitches, but he was doing so at a rate rarely seen, 
quickly becoming the biggest draw card the tourists had. The English side for the first test in Birmingham was chosen by Lord Hawke, Gregor McGregor and Herbert Bainbridge. Their first move was to appoint Archie McLaren captain, despite his loss on the previous tour of Australia. English fans were buoyed that, for the first time, English selectors were seemingly prioritising test cricket over the county game, giving them confidence that they would be able to match the Australians. A strong side was selected, with no debutants, including Tildesley, Lilly, Jessup and Braun, who had all toured Australia in 1901-02. The rest of the team was made up of Hurston Rhodes, who had declined the opportunity to take part in the previous tour, Fry, Ranji, Jackson and Bill Lockwood. Charles Llewellyn, who had played two tests for South Africa in the 1890s before moving to play for Hampshire in county cricket due to discrimination over his mixed-race heritage, was selected in the squad, but ultimately not chosen for the final side. As for the Australians, the illnesses ravaging the side played the biggest part in selection. Trumbull, who had recovered from his broken thumb only to fall sick, and Saunders, who was suffering from an inflamed eye and tonsillitis, were not selected. Noble, Howell and Darling all were playing despite still suffering the effects of the flu. Carter, the backup wicketkeeper, was the other player left out of the 11. McLaren won the toss and chose to bat on a slowish pitch in front of 20,000 fans. The Australians took the field for the first time in green caps, as the new Australian nation had adopted green and gold as their national colours. McLaren and Fry opened for the English, facing the bowling of Jones and Noble. The decision to bat looked to have backfired when Fry was out for a duck in the third over, caught behind off Jones. This brought Ranji to the crease. The score moved on to 13 before a miscommunication between the two batsmen saw McLaren run out, with Ranji being blamed by those in the crowd for the dismissal. Jackson replaced him. Ranji was not batting with his usual fluency, scoring only 13 runs after 15 minutes at the crease before he was clean bowled by Armstrong. This brought Tildesley in at a precarious 3 for 35. From here though, the innings shifted. Jackson and Tildesley batted with confidence, rapidly moving the score forward. Darling rotated his bowlers, but the batsman handled the challenge heading to lunch with a score on 99. Following lunch, Jackson moved on to a half-century before the reintroduction of Jones brought about the wicket, with Jackson chopping onto these stumps for 53. Lilly could only manage two before skying a ball to mid-on off Noble. This left the English at 5 for 112. The Australians could have been in an even stronger position had they not dropped Tildesley three times in the space of a few overs, with Jones, Darling and Armstrong being the culprits. Buoyed by these chances, Tildesley, who combined with Hurst, went past 50. The Australians' bowling now started to deteriorate, becoming much looser and allowing the partnership to rattle on at over a run a minute. Jones in particular bowled a series of long hops and failed to threaten the batsman. The two races score onto just past 200 before T was taken. Upon resumption, the score moved on to 212 before Hurst was dismissed, caught by Armstrong off Trumper for 48. He shared a 91-run stand with Tildesley, who by now had moved into the 80s. Jessup, as usual, attempted to play big shots, who became Trumper's second victim when he was caught at deep cover for six. Braun came in at seven for 230, with Tildesley too short of a century on 98. He spent a long time on this number before getting the two singles necessary to bring up his second test century and first against Australia. The scoring slowed somewhat as Jones finally found his radar, eventually bowling Braun for 14. Tildesley looked to make it through to the end of the day in partnership with Lockwood, but fell for 138 about 30 minutes before the end of play. Trapped LBW by Howe. He'd hit 20 boundaries in an innings that had saved the English from a poor score. The final pair of Lockwood and Rhodes managed to see through the rest of the day and added over 50 runs in doing so, with the English finishing at 9 for 351. Heavy rain fell overnight, so much so the play was delayed until after lunch. Many expected McLaren to declare straight away, but on the advice of Lilly he kept batting, hoping the bowlers' run-ups would dry up a bit for the benefit of his bowlers. 
Lockwood and Rhodes found batting difficult, scoring slowly. When Lockwood brought up his 50, McLaren declared soon after at 376, with the final partnership having added 81 runs. The wickets were shared across the bowlers, with Jones taking three. The Australian innings commenced at four in the afternoon, with Trumper and Duff opening for the visitors. The score moved to seven before Duff received a life, being dropped at slip-off Hurst. He could not take advantage though, and was caught at point off Rhodes for two. The drying pitch was playing tricks, and the English pair of Hurst and Rhodes could not have asked for more perfect conditions for their style of bowling. Wickets began to tumble, with Hill being well caught at slip by Braundoff Hurst for one. Gregory was trapped LBW by the same bowler without scoring, whilst Darling and Noble were both dismissed for three, with Rhodes claiming both. Armstrong then edged the next ball behind off Rhodes to be out for a golden duck. This left the Australians in an abject 6-25. Trumper, as he had all season so far, was handling the conditions the best, but this point started to have more difficulty. He was joined by Hopkins and the two held out for a while without building the score. Trumper, who had made his way to 18, was then bowled by a big in-swinging delivery from Hurst, having lasted for over 70 minutes. From here, the innings ended quickly, with Rhodes claiming the last three wickets, having demonstrated masterful control of length and turn. He ended the innings with 7 for 17, his first five-wicket haul in tests, whilst Hurst claimed the other three. The Australians had sensationally collapsed to 36, which remains the lowest innings ever recorded by the Australian test team. The Australians followed on and managed to make it to eight without loss before the umpires called the game off for the day due to bad light. The English would head into the final day with a commanding 332 run lead with a fantastic opportunity to go one up in the series. However, rain fell for 12 hours overnight, once again drenching the ground. Despite the regular start time of play seeing the ground bathed in bright sunshine, the umpires determined that the ground was not fit for play. The players were off the ground until just before five in the evening when the final day finally began. With only just over an hour remaining, there was little chance of a result. The Australians did lose two wickets, with Trumper and Duff falling for 14 and 15 respectively, but they were in little danger of losing, with the match ending with the Australians two down for 46. The English weather had cost the match a chance of a result and ultimately hurt the English cause in the series, given their dominance over the first two days. Following the first test, the Australians headed to Leeds to face Yorkshire. Here, in another rain-affected game, they suffered a collapse that mirrored their first innings in the previous test, falling for 23 in the second innings due to the bowling of Hurst and Jackson, who each took five wickets. Yorkshire got home by five wickets, giving the Australians their first loss on the tour. The next match against Lancashire was also rain-affected, although this one ended in a draw after there were no plays on days two and three. The Australians got a win in the final match before the second test at Lords, beating Cambridge by an innings, with Trumper scoring his fourth century of the tour. Again, though, the weather was playing havoc on the health of the side, with Trumbull continuing to be laid low. He was joined by Howe, who was unable to take his place in the second test. He was replaced by Saunders, who had recovered from his ailments. Following their dominant performance in the first test, the English would go in unchanged. However, the weather at Lords had other ideas. Rain had begun at 7am the day before the test, and continued up until the scheduled start of play. The umpires delayed the start until after lunch. McLaren again was successful at the toss and chose to bat, opening with himself and Fry. The Australians started with Jones, but then Darling went for the surprising choice of Hopkins' mediums at the other end. This proved a masterstroke, however, as Hopkins struck in his first over, with Fry edging a ball onto his pad to Hill at short leg, departing for a duck. More luck for Hopkins came in the same over, when Fry's replacement Ranji inside edged a ball back onto his stumps and was out for the same score. The English couldn't have made a worse start at two for none. Jackson played out the rest of the over and was spared a more immediate examination by a rain shower that sent the players from the field for 20 minutes. 
Following the rain delay, Jackson scored the first run before edging Jones dangerously through the slips for a boundary. McLaren was on zero for 25 minutes before opening his account. They continued without further loss until on 19, the players were again sent from the field due to rain. When play resumed over an hour later, the pitch was sodden. Ironically, this made it its best for batting, as the wicket was most dangerous when it was drying out. This meant that the batsmen could play shots all around the wicket with confidence. There were a couple of near misses for catches, but overall the crowd that had remained got good value for their attendance. Jackson would take his score on to 55 when the day ended due to bad light, whilst McLaren had moved to 47, with the English ending the day on 102. The Australians had tried six bowlers, but after Hopkins' first over, they created very few opportunities. However, once again the weather had the biggest say in the match. No play was possible on either the second or third day, leading to another draw. Including the final three results during the 1899 tour, this was now the fifth test in a row in England that had been drawn, leading to calls for the English to adopt the Australian practice of timeless tests. However, with the county championship remaining paramount and the impact extended tests would have on scheduling, calls for change would have to wait until 1926, where the fifth test of that series was designated a timeless one in the event the series was at stake. From here on though, the weather improved for the remainder of the tour, allowing the players to recover from their ailments and the Australians to be able to put their full strength on the park more consistently. They went on a winning streak, coming out victorious in all five of their games between the second and third tests. Trumbull, making up for lost time, took 14 wickets against an England 11, followed by 12 against Yorkshire in a revenge performance for their loss in the previous match. Trumper's fifth century for the tour came against another English 11, a match which also featured 182 from Reg Duff. The third test was to be played in Yorkshire, however, unlike the previous tests in the county, which took place at Headingley in Leeds, this one was held at Bramall Lane, Sheffield. Attendances would be poor because of this change, it would be the only time a test was held at this ground, with it being mainly used for football in the years since. The English would make two changes. Abel was selected for his first test in six years. He was initially replacing Fry, however Ranji went down with a leg injury the day before the test, meaning Fry kept his place. The more interesting decision came with the bowlers. Initially, Lockwood was selected to keep his place. However, upon the urging of McLaren, who swallowed his pride following their previous falling out, Sid Barnes, who had recovered from the knee injury suffered in the 1901-02 tour, was a late call-up from outside the chosen squad. For the Australians, the return of Hugh Trumbull was seen as a massive inclusion and thoroughly strengthened the Australian side. He took the place of Ernie Jones, who had been ineffective so far on the wet pitches. Darling was successful at the toss and chose to bat, opening with Trumper and Duff. Soon after the commencement, Trumper fell for one, playing around a ball from Braun to be bowled leg stump. Hill joined Duff and the two looked to get on top of the bowling, or they were restricted from moving the score on too quickly by some excellent ground fielding. The score moved on to 38 before the first bowling change was made, with Barnes making his first appearance at the bowling crease. He had an immediate impact, inducing Hill to hit a catch to short leg to be out for 18. Next ball, new batsman Darling edged the ball to slip to be out for a golden duck. Gregory joined Duff and after surviving the hat-trick ball, took the score past 50 before Barnes struck a game, having Dove edged behind to be out for 25. Barnes could have had a fourth wicket, but Rhodes dropped a catch off Gregory at third man. This didn't cost too many runs, as Gregory was out shortly afterwards for 11, caught at point off that man Barnes. Noble and Hopkins then saw the Australians through to lunch at 5 for 98. After lunch, Noble did most of the scoring. He was particularly harsh on the bowling of Rhodes, hitting multiple boundaries. At the other end, Hopkins was riding his luck. In one over, he was dropped at slip, followed by two edges that went to the boundary. As Noble approached his half-century, he edged the ball from Rhodes to slip, out for 47. Ten runs later, at 137, Hopkins was dismissed for 25, 
caught its slip-off Barnes, followed immediately by new batsman Kelly, who was bowled by a quick off-break. This gave Barnes his sixth wicket for the innings. The Australians were now eight down, and innings convened over quickly, but Armstrong and Trumbull combined to build some more respectability. They managed to put together a 57-run stand, seeing off the Barnes threat and taking Australia to 194, before both were out on that score and ending the innings, with Jackson and Braun claiming one apiece. The last-minute selection of Barnes, who finished for 6 with 49, was now seen as a masterstroke. The English had just over two hours of batting time left. McLaren and Abel opened and started positively, taking particular toll on some wayward bowling from Saunders. With little risk, the two began with a 50-run partnership and had reached 61 by the end of the first hour of the innings. Here, Darling turned to the bowling of Noble. He was immediately successful, bowling McLaren for 31. He was replaced by Tildesley. From here, the bowling tightened and the run scoring slowed. The two put on 25 in over 40 minutes before Noble struck again, bowling a bell for 38 after deceiving him in flight. Jackson came to the crease and the two batsmen looked to be successfully navigating the English to stumps. After bringing up the team century, Tilsley became Noble's third wicket when he was taken at slip. Jackson hit Saunders to cover point before Fry, just before bad light ended play for the day, was tempted from his crease and stumped off Saunders. The English lost 3 for 1 to end the day at 5 for 102, still 92 runs behind the Australians. Despite overnight rain, the match commenced day 2 on time. Braun and Lilly were both newly arrived at the crease and were yet to score. Braun fell soon after the commencement for a duck when he was stumped off Saunders. Lilly, who had hit two lowly boundaries, was then bowled by Noble. Hurst and Jessup then combined for a 20-run stand, with Hurst taking Saunders to 13 in an over, before both were out within a run of each other, one each to Noble and Saunders. When Barnes was out 14 runs later, the English had ended their innings on 145, having lost 7 for 44 since late on day one. Noble and Saunders were the destroyers, each claiming five wickets. Taking a 49-run lead into the second innings, the Australians looked to press their advantage. As he had done all tour, Trumper thrived on the wet pitch, taking roads for boundaries. He dominated the opening stand of 20 before he lost his partner, with Duff falling for one. This brought Hill in to join the flying Trumper. Trumper cut Rhodes past slip for a boundary, with McLaren then switching Rhodes to the other end and giving Barnes his first over of the innings. However, this didn't stop Trumper, who then took 12 off the next Rhodes over. The Team 50 came up after only 30 minutes of batting as Trumper continued to attack, with flashing shots just out of reach of the fielders. He brought up his 50 with three off Barnes before taking him for three more boundaries in the same over. At this point, McLaren switched to Jackson and this finally saw Trumper dismissed, caught behind for 62. He had made the runs in only 50 minutes with eight boundaries and was dominating the Australian score, which was now two for 80. This soon became three for 80 when Darling completed his pair, falling in the exact same fashion as he had in the first innings to Barnes. Gregory was next in. Hill, who had played second fiddle to this point, now took up the attack striking 14 runs from a Jackson over. The two managed to get through to lunch without further loss, taking the Australian score to 115, a lead of 164 with eight wickets in hand. Following lunch, Hill, who had gone to the break on 45, quickly brought up his 50. He struck another three boundaries in an over from Hurst. In the next over face from that bowler, he was dropped at slip one on 74. The partnership quickly went past 100 before Gregory, who had made his way to 29, played a ball to third man and set off for a run. Not expecting the throw to come to his end, he was shocked when a strong return from Fry found him short of his ground at the bowler's end. He departed 187, having shared a 107 run stand with Hill. His place was taken by Noble, who was at the other end to see Hill bring up his century, his third in tests, having faced only 105 balls. The Australian 200 came up before Noble departed for eight, bowled by Jackson. Soon after, Hill's innings came to an end on 119, 
caught by McLaren off Jackson, having batted for two and a half hours and hitting 16 fours. At 6 to 225, the Australian lead was now 274. Hopkins and Armstrong then combined to take the lead past 300, with the pair putting on a 50-run partnership. Rhodes, who had been kept from the bowling crease for a while, returned and immediately bowled Armstrong for 26. His absence was shown up to have been a mistake, as he quickly finished the innings, taking the final three Australian wickets for only two runs, with Hopkins left 40 not out. Rhodes' left arm spin, which had taken 5 for 63, was seen to have been badly handled by his captain after Saunders' similar bowling style had been so successful in the previous innings. With the Australians having finished on 289, they set the English a target of 339 for victory. There was just over an hour left on day two for batting. McLaren decided to make an aggressive start to the innings, choosing to open with Jessup and Abel. The openers took 13 runs off the first over from Saunders, but Abel fell for eight in the second, caught it slip off Noble. Despite the loss of his partner, Jessup continued to bat in an aggressive style. With Tildesley holding up the other end, Jessup raced the score forward, with 31 runs coming in the first four overs, whilst the 50 was reached after only 30 minutes of play. The batsmen appealed against the fading light, but were unsuccessful. Despite this, they managed to get through to stumps without further loss, although Jessup was dropped on hill on the long-off boundary when on 49, bringing up his 50 in the process. He ended the day on 53, with the English having moved to 1 for 73, still requiring 266 to win with 9 wickets in hand, heading into the third and final day. A bigger crowd attended on day 3 in anticipation of an exciting day's cricket, especially with Jessup in such fine form the previous evening. Jessup started well, taking 2 from the first ball from Trumbull. On the second, he played all around the ball and was struck on the pad, with the umpire approving the Australian's appeal. This set the tone for the first half hour of play. The other not-out batsman, Tildesley, only added 3 to his overnight score of 11 before being bowled, whilst Fry could only manage 4 before becoming another LBW victim. Trumbull claimed both of these wickets, which left the English at 4 for 98. McLaren had watched the last two wickets from the other end and was now joined by Jackson. He survived an LBW appeal from Trumbull and batted confidently, striking the ball well in front of the wicket and doing his best to lead his side to the total. Hopes were raised when McLaren struck 21 off 5 balls from Saunders, 4 boundaries and a 5, which included 2 overthrows. He soon after brought up his 50 to much applause from the crowd. Saunders was replaced by Noble, who helped check the scoring. The score reached 162 before Jackson mixed played a ball from Noble and was bowled off his body. Three runs later, McLaren gave a simple catch off the same bowler and was caught at short leg for 63. This marked the end of any meaningful chance of an English victory, still requiring 174 with only four wickets in hand. This was compounded when a double strike from Noble dismissed Lillian Hurst in consecutive balls. Braun became Noble's sixth victim when he was caught at point. The final wicket went to Trumbull when he bowled Barnes for five, ending the English innings on 193, giving the Australians victory by 143 runs. Noble was the star, his 6 for 52 combined with his 5 wickets in the first innings, giving him 11 for 103 for the match, with good support from Trumbull's 4 for 49 in the second innings. Furthermore, the innings of Trumper and Hill outmatched anything the English counterparts could produce, giving the Australians the runs they needed to go one up in the series, with two tests to play. This is the end of part 1 of our episode covering the 1902 Tour of England. Part 2, where the final two enthralling tests will play out, will be released next week. Thank you for listening. New episodes of Endless Summons will be released fortnightly. Please subscribe to be notified of new releases. You can also follow us on Twitter at pod underscore endless, and you can email us at endlesssummerpod at gmail.com.